0: Daniel chapter nine, longing to see the face of God. Daniel chapter nine records a prayer and the answer to that prayer. There are two sections of the book of Daniel. In the first, Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So he's like this Medo-Persian king. Right, You had the Babylonian Empire, and then you had the Persian Empire, or the Empire of the Medes and the Persians. So Babylon is dead. This is the first king of the new empire. Right, The Chaldeans are the Babylonians. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, as it is written in the law of Moses, All this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own, because your city and your people are called by your name. So that's Daniel's desperate prayer, the book of Jeremiah. And then here's God's answer, and here's how long it took God to answer. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel that's the angel Gabriel who came to Zechariah and to Mary to announce the birth and the coming of Christ. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, because we just skipped chapter eight, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, "Oh Daniel, I have now come out to you come out to give you insight and understanding." At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks, literally it says seventy sevens. Seventy sevens are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven sevens. Then for sixty two sevens it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty two sevens, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city. And the sanctuary, that's the temple. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one seven. And for half of the seven, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. The end. And then the angel Gabriel goes back to heaven. And Daniel's left considering and standing however much he can understand of that, which is a lot. He gets the gist of it, and our goal today will be to get the gist of it. So Daniel is now in his 80s or maybe in his 90s. Do you think, since Daniel was uh, sort of stolen into slavery to become a Babylonian servant and indoctrinated in the deities and literature of the Babylonians, do you think a single day has passed from when he was about a teenager until now that he hasn't gotten down on his knees and turned towards the temple, towards Jerusalem, and prayed that they could go home and that the city could be rebuilt with a temple in it? I doubt not a single day has passed since he prayed that. And now there's, he's seen the rise and fall of the Babylonian Empire and And here's Daniel in his 80s or perhaps his 90s. That's a long time. And here at the end of his life, he prays this extraordinary prayer, and he hears the most clear message of hope. After all those visions and dreams, now he's hearing a message from the messenger who stands in the presence of God. Let's look back at our themes really quickly. Like the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel is a book that reveals Jesus Christ. It shows us where Christ is and what he is doing. Have we seen Christ already in this book? Think about that, we're gonna come back to that at the end because that's the main point. Like the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel is a book of hope and a book of warning for Christians and it is not for the future, it is for now. Christians are almost always going through suffering, persecution, and tribulations. When we read Daniel and Revelation, if we come away thinking, I'm glad I'll get raptured before any of that happens, then we've missed the point. Daniel and Revelation show us that, yes, God knows that the church is suffering. And yes, The government or regime is evil, like an evil beast. Daniel tells us to expect this and gives us hope in Christ when we're being persecuted. Like the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel is also a warning of God's judgment on those who fight against God and on those who forget God in favor of idols such as pursuing pleasure and sexual immorality instead of taking delight in God, and pursuing other religions like statism and moralism, the two favorite religions of Israel back in that day. Uh, Statism is being more patriotic than Christriotic. It's having all your confidence in your political party and being all about uh, politics to the loss of being all about Christ. It's having your, your city, your state, your government, and your governors as your, your ruler and savior rather than having Christ as your savior in your heart, in your mind, and in practice. So, so the Israelites had become uh, more statist than, than Yahwehist est uh, by the time of the... Uh, they were... They were, they were they were very, very Jewish and very anti-Gentile. They were all about their, their people, their state, and this is like, we're the people of God. And even though they were constantly trying to mix with other religions, and they bought into that poisonous philosophy which is so popular in America, uh, it is perhaps the religion of America, that um, at the core of all religions is the same thing. Have you heard that before? All religions really worship the same God. You know, all religions are kind of all the same. I read once that that was an idea that came out of Germany in like the uh, 1700s or 1800s or something. But that idea has been around for a long time. And that's what the Israelites were doing in worshiping all these Canaanite deities and Yahweh. Like like the two fit together, like they were one and the same. And they persisted into that until the time of Daniel and beyond. So, the religion of statism, being more patriotic, more about your country than about Christ. Moralism, another great religion of the Israelites at that time. Moralism means making making for yourself a list of things in your mind of things that are right and that are wrong, and thinking if I do what I think is right and don't do what I think is wrong, or at least shift the blame by accusing others who I think are worse than me, then I'll be satisfied that I'm a good person. And that's kind of how the Pharisees thought, right? And by thinking like that, most Christians in America avoid God. These were the sins of the people of Israel, and these are our sins today. Also, the Israelites had no love for the poor, and they were violent like in the days of Noah these are the sins for which the people of Israel went into exile and for sins like these nation after nation through history has been judged by God once the cup of their their cup of their sin got full to the brim and God made them drink it down down to the dregs like it says in revelation but for the people of God as it says in psalm 46:1 God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. We said uh, that over and over in the Bible, especially in the Psalms, The sea and the ocean, which is kind of like impossible to control, because who can hold water in their hands, you know, and who can restrain the wind and the waves, uh, is a metaphor for the the ungodly nations, and the land is is a metaphor for uh, the place where God's people lived, or the, the country, the city, and the people of God. So that psalm encapsulates well this theme in the book of Daniel that Our hope is in the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, no matter how much the waters rage and roar and foam. But how much were the Israelites the people of God, even now after they'd been in exile? Daniel had been reading the prophet Jeremiah, who was like super high on judgment and like, you know, the judgment of God is coming. And now after reading that, in Daniel chapter nine, we see Daniel praying this desperate prayer asking God to have mercy to take away their sins and to allow them to go and rebuild the city where God had made himself at home. By the way, since Daniel prays like this, we should do the same, for the church in America looks like Israel during the time of Daniel, both at the time of Daniel's life and later at the time of Christ's life when it was all the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In fact, it was at this time during the exile that the practice of Phariseeism, this super moralistic thinking was birthed, which was a false religion that Jesus hated. And the Pharisees were not trying to receive Jesus as their king, they were trying to make themselves right by following the rules they'd made. One of our problems is that we have too much Pharisee in us. So by the time of the writing of this prayer, Daniel is now an old man in his 80s or maybe in his 90s. He was captured and made a Babylonian servant when he was a very young man. And he has been praying the same prayer for many decades now. There has probably not been one day in Daniel's life that he has not prayed that God would release his people from captivity in Babylon and allow them to return home and rebuild a kingdom for God in their own land. God had not yet answered that prayer, but he is about to show Daniel his plans, which are for a future and a hope and for a prince who is going to come and build the kingdom of God. But up until the ninth chapter of this book, Daniel had only had dreams and visions of what God has in store for those who wait for him he's about to have a visitation from the same angel who would later announce to both Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, who prepared the way for the Christ, the Lord, and announced to Mary, the mother of the Lord, that the king promised by the prophets Moses, and Nathan, and Isaiah, and Daniel, and others, the king that they've been waiting for, was born into the world. For further reading, you can read uh, Luke chapter one, it's verses five through 37. But it's it's so wonderful to think about Gabriel coming to Daniel and telling him about the Christ now more clearly than he's ever heard. And then thinking about the same angel just so many years later coming to Zechariah and Mary and putting the two together. So now Daniel's coming close to the end of his life. It's been a lot of hoping and waiting. He's seen the rise and fall of the empire that took him from his family and wiped his country off the map, including the special city Jerusalem and the temple of God in it. The glory had departed. He has lived through the reigns of several Babylonian kings, including the great Nebuchadnezzar, who for all his initial idolatry and self-worship, amazingly was humbled and publicly glorified the God of heaven, who is the king of kings, and promoted Daniel and his three friends, but kept the Jewish people as servants. Daniel has also lived under the reign of Belshazzar, a less noble king who did not recognize Daniel nor worship the God of heaven, but instead drank, like got drunk from the special dishes that were taken from God's temple, and he toasted the worthless idols. Therefore, God judged him to be uh, not heavy enough, to to be weightless, to be weighed in the balances and found wanting. Belshazzar was killed the night he saw that handwriting on the wall. Like the Jews, Babylon was judged for its idolatry and magic arts, for its excessive violence, for its sexual immorality, and for having no regard for the poor and needy. So King Belshazzar was killed, and Darius the Mede uh, came to power. And this prayer, Daniel prays in the first year of Darius the Mede. So today we find Daniel reading his Bible. Um, Would everybody please turn to Jeremiah chapter 25, so we can read what Daniel was reading. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. So Jeremiah had been prophesying for, prophesying for some decades in Israel and he had written, Daniel's reading it. He's reading Jeremiah chapter 25, which, uh, which references Deuteronomy, when God gave commandment to the people of Israel you know, if you obey me, I'll do all of these things for you. And they were extraordinary blessings. And if you reject and refuse and commit treachery against me and break this covenant I'm making with you today, I'll, do, I'll bring all these curses upon you, all these curses. And they were pretty bad. And nothing like that had ever happened to any people before until the Babylonian captivity. And all those things came upon them. Well, right before it happened, Jeremiah prophesies. Jeremiah chapter 25 Verse 3, Jeremiah says, For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. You have neither, you have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts and I'm sure Daniel is bawling as he's reading this because you have not obeyed my words behold I will send for all the tribes of the north declares the Lord and for Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon my servant and I will bring against this la- I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. So like there's no food, there's no marriage, there's no, there are no children. Everything's cut off. It's like a famine of of God's presence, God's word, of the prophets, and and everything in the land. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon how many years? Seventy years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon, and so on, making that land an everlasting waste. So Daniel's sitting there reading this, just like we just read it. So what does Daniel focus on? He zeroes in on, um, he notices that it says 70 years are decreed for the desolations, for the time of the destruction of Jerusalem. Well, it's been 70 years. He's like right at 70 years. We're not exactly sure... You, you can interpret that. There's some question as to whether that starts when in 605 B.C. when Daniel is carried off into Babylon or just after that uh, when, when Nebuchadnezzar comes back after having taken Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and others and taken the best of the land or if it's after that when Nebuchadnezzar comes through and just cuts everything down and destroys the city in the temple, and nobody's left except the poorest of the poor, and everybody goes off as slaves or is killed. We're not actually sure when that 70-year period starts. Um, maybe somebody is, and we're not exactly sure when it ends. It could end when uh, when the decree went that people could go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, as we uh, as we read about in Ezra and Nehemiah, or it could be um, a little while later when another Persian king gave a decree that you could set up governors and magistrates and rebuild the wall, implying that the whole city of Jerusalem was being rebuilt, not just the temple. So does the 70 years start uh, when Daniel gets carried away or when everything is destroyed? or And does it end? It, it doesn't matter. The point is 70 years is up, right? Um, Daniel understood it. I don't quite. So when we look at these things, there may be some questions, but Daniel gets the point. He's reading Jeremiah and he sees... Oh, it's 70 years. So think about that. You've been in captivity all your life. You've been praying every day God, please let us go back. Please let us be your people in your place and do, do what you wanted us to do from the beginning and, and live in our midst again and, and make, build, rebuild a temple for us where we can come and worship you and meet you. Come down from heaven and live among us. You've prayed that like every day of your life. You're Daniel. And now you read in the prophet of prophet Jeremiah, seventy years is up. What's your first thought? Why hasn't it happened? Why hasn't it happened yet? Yeah. So Daniel's reading Jeremiah. He realizes that the time of the judgment of the city and people of God is drawing to an end. Seventy years is about up. And for some reason, Daniel's first thought isn't, yippee! Proclaim a feast! We're going home! Instead, for some reason, Daniel starts to fast and cry out to God for mercy so that they can go home almost as if he doesn't think they're necessarily going to go home after all. Now, why do you think he wasn't excited about that 70 years being up? Why is Daniel fasting? Here's another question. When exactly did the Israelites repent for all of their ignorance toward God? We saw the Jews go from bad to worse under many idolatrous kings, Israelite kings, and we saw them get carried away into Assyria and into Babylon. But when exactly did they repent? Their suffering, but did the suffering lead to repentance? We saw their sorrow and hardship. I'm just not sure we saw them be sorry for their sins. It kind of makes me ask, we at GCF have gone through some hard things lately, and we are all sorry that we're experiencing pain. But how much fasting and repenting have we done? When did we issue the call to fast and pray and entreat the favor of our God and ask him to fill us up more with the Holy Spirit again? Where is our fruit and the vibrant worship, the evangelism and discipleship, The signs and wonders? Where is the level of brotherly love among us that we need? And has our love for God and our love for one another grown maybe a little bit cold? Where is it obvious that the kingdom of God is in our midst in its fullness and power? We've been struggling to see that as clearly as we'd like to at GCF though it's clear that the Lord is working among us and doing good things. As we read this today, this is a call to fast and pray for the Holy Spirit to continue to come and to be poured out on us, not in judgment, but in mercy, and to give us fruitful disciples and the repentance that leads to life. Jesus said the way is narrow and there are, there are few who find the road to life. Some among us are in that boat. Fast and pray that, that you will find it and that we will pass on something better to our children than did our ancestors, the Israelites who came before us. So Daniel discerns this in the hearts of his people. He discerns that the hearts of the people are still not toward the Lord like they need to be. And, they're not, and the temple and the city still lie in ruins When will the Son of Man that we saw in Daniel uh, 7 come and receive the kingdom that will never be destroyed? Daniel fasts and prays. That's the right response when we see a lack of the presence of God among us like we need and when we're troubled and when we're struggling. Daniel fasts and prays. And he prays an extraordinary prayer. He turns his face to the Lord God. So his face goes from looking down at his suffering. His face goes to the Lord. He turns his attention to God and away from these things and the things of this life and, uh, and his pleasures because Daniel was pretty rich. He certainly had lots of pleasures and delights right there but what he wanted was the Lord sat right before him and he wanted the pleasures of God and he wanted that for all the people. He turns his face to the Lord God and he says, to us, we deserve to have our faces ashamed and confused. That's the opposite of confidence and self-assurance. And we're about to see, as Daniel prayed this, That Gabriel comes and promises that God will turn his face to the people. And in fact, that one like a son of man is coming, and those who look at him will see the face of God and will live. Daniel chapter 9 is about longing to see the face of God. And how to get there. What's the mark of Daniel's prayer in chapter 9? You know, okay, think of Jesus' parable, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. You know, the tax collector, like, won't even lift up his eyes toward heaven, and he's like, have mercy on me, a sinner, and he's, like, beating his chest, and, and then the Pharisee is, you know, kind of straightening his tie and making sure somebody's looking, and he's right out there on the street corner. His chest is all puffed out, kind of strutting like Nebuchadnezzar, and, uh, and he says, thank you and I'm not like that guy. You know? So Daniel's posture is a posture of meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall, what? Inherit the earth, the earth, the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for we shall be filled. Daniel prays like in total meekness. It says, quote, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting. So he's not eating, which, if you've done any fasting, is pretty miserable. And sackcloth, so that's where he takes off his, like, you know, several thousand dollar Persian suit. And and he puts on, like, sacks that potatoes come in, you know. Well, now they come in plastic bags. They used to come in sackcloth. And he takes ashes from the fireplace and instead of makeup and like really expensive perfume and anointing oil is ashes on his head. The sign of humility. It says in verse four, I prayed to the Lord, my God, and made confession. He takes responsibility for his sin. This, this is instructive to us. So who's the most righteous man on the planet at this time? Daniel, that's very likely the case. He takes responsibility for, there's no one righteous, no, not one. He takes responsibility for, all have turned aside, they have all together become worthless. There's no one who seeks God, no, not one. He brings those verses in Romans, the Romans wrote, right home to his own heart and he lays aside confidence of face and he puts on meekness that was really what was in his heart in the beginning anyway. This is for us today. This needs to be our routine throughout our lives as Christian, Christians in between the celebration and the joy and the exaltation and worship and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes with pleas for mercy and fasting and ask God to, asking God to, like David said, point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me in the way everlasting. So Daniel takes responsibility for his sin. And this is interesting. And that of the rest of the people and his ancestors. Well, I'm a modern American millennial. And I'm an individualistic person. How can I take responsibility for somebody else's sin? Like in my community or my congregation. How can I take responsibility for the sin of my ancestors? You hear people saying, you know, America has committed this great evil of enslaving human beings, African-American human beings. And then you hear people saying, well, I didn't do that. Daniel wouldn't have said that. He would have bawled and fasted and prayed and he would have stood up and led his congregation and saying, we need to entreat the, the forgiveness of God for what we and our ancestors have done. But it's more than that. We ask the question at the beginning, where have we seen Christ in the book of Daniel? We see him right here. In literature, you learn about types, which means like examples or pictures or, or manifestations of. So, so like Samson is a strong man who stretched out his arms like Christ did on the cross and brought down the house of his enemies and freed the people. So Samson is a type of Christ on the cross, bringing down the, bringing down the accuser of the brethren and setting us free. Daniel is a type of Christ. God wrote into the pages of history in the life of Daniel supernaturally. He made Daniel look like a little picture, a little foreshadowing, a type of the Christ who was to come. Daniel is here acting like a high priest under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He's not just receiving a message from Gabriel telling us uh, that the Christ is going to come and do all these things and bring an everlasting righteousness and atone for sin and end our transgression once and for all and bring usher in the kingdom of God. He's, he's like being like Christ prophetically. For Christ came and prayed this for us. And Christ is now at the right hand of God in heaven, and he's praying like this for us. And that's our confidence and hope and righteousness. It's not in our own righteousness. No matter how sanctified we get, no matter how much we achieve, no matter how much the blessing is poured out on us, it is Christ praying this for us that keeps us in Christ every day. And that is a great relief, and it's our only hope in life and death. Now we have minus 30 seconds to finish. So can we finish? One page, two page, three pages? No. Amen. I apologize. Um, so, so here in the book of Daniel, we see Daniel doing something that Christ will later do for the rest of us. We see Daniel a blameless man, though a sinner like us, who understands our weakness, taking responsibility for the sins of his people and pleading for God's mercy over them, for they only really deserved more judgment, even though their 70 years of desolation was up. Daniel gets it. He rightly read the times. Later we'll see Christ, who knew no sin, become sin for us. And we will see Christ Jesus, having paid for our sin, and given us his righteousness, which we did not deserve, now exalted at the right hand of God, interceding for us. And speaking by the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans chapter 8, that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We who have trespassed God's commandments have now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus by no fault of our own. Praise God. I'll accept that religion, but I won't accept the religion of moralism, having confidence that I'm doing well, I'm doing fine, I'm getting it, I'm doing this Christian thing, and oh, he's not, oh, she's not. and Having that condemnation towards my brother and my sister and my heart, we must come out from the kingdoms. Daniel and Revelation are warnings to the people of God to come out from the kingdom of Satan, the kingdoms of man that are like evil beasts. And to come into the kingdom of God more fully and to walk purely and to walk in the light and to walk out this righteousness that has been given to us as a gift. And to come out from that moralism and that statism and that idea that at the core of all religions is the same thing. It's not. Today, as we've st- we are studying Daniel chapter 9, We as a congregation join in the fasting and praying that God has mercy on us too, and blesses our evangelism and discipleship, and gives our disciples a future in the kingdom of God. Today, if you hear this, do not harden your heart like the Israelites did, but hear the call to fast and pray for mercy, but make it a routine for life because we will always need that. And you will see that before you started praying, God answered our prayer by sending the merciful one, Jesus Christ, to bring in the righteousness that we so badly needed but did not achieve. And to build a new temple and a new Jerusalem when the old one had passed away. We can't get into it today because we're out of time, but in Daniel's, in Gabriel, the angel Gabriel's word to Daniel, uh, he says this prince is coming. It's gonna be a long time. It's not gonna be 70 years. Like he's praying about the 70 years and about the the city and about the people. And Gabriel's answer is about 70 and the city and the people. And he's like, there's this prince coming. He'll be anointed like the Holy Spirit who came to rest on Christ. He'll bring in the everlasting righteousness. He'll atone for the sin and iniquity. That's what Daniel's praying for for his people. That's the answer. And he's saying, he's probably not saying it's going to be 490 years. People have tried to cut it that way and that could be done. It's about 490 years to the birth and death and resurrection and ascension of Christ. This is probably saying, it's a long time, Daniel. It's it's not like Peter is like, how many times should I forgive my brother? Not three times, but seven times? And Jesus is like, No, Peter, seven D times seven. That's seven times seven times ten. And that is the way of the kingdom of God. Here in Daniel, um, Gabriel is delivering this message saying, Daniel, you're going to wait. More desolations for the city are decreed, but have hope this prince is going to come and he's going to do this thing. And you're going to have to wait for it. More beasts are coming. The Greek empire is coming. The people of God are going to have to live through the Persian empire and all the way into the Roman empire. And... More suffering and hardship is in store for the people of God. Wait for it, wait for it. This rock will grow into a mountain that will fill the whole earth. And when he says 77s or or uh, 70 weeks, um, it's like seven times seven times 10. That's a long time. And sure enough, when the time was right, Christ came into the world. So the book of Daniel is a book that reveals Jesus Christ. It shows us where Christ is and what he is doing. Where have we seen Christ so far in the book of Daniel? In the fire with his people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In their greatest hour of need, he was there. Whose finger wrote on the wall for Belshazzar to read? It was the finger of God and Belshazzar was cast out. Who was the angel who shut the mouths of the lions when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den in Daniel 6? I have to wonder if Jesus himself didn't come personally and do it. Jesus is often called the messenger or angel of the Lord in scripture. Then we saw in Daniel 7, one like a son of man came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And instead of bowing down to the father on the throne made out of fire, God gives him the kingdom that will never pass away or be given to another people. So therefore, that son of man is equal to the father on the throne. And now here in Daniel 9, we see Daniel himself praying like a high priest. We see Christ manifested or or revealed like the revelation of Jesus Christ, the book of Revelation. We see him revealed in Daniel's prayer. So as we fast and pray as a congregation that God will give us the repentance that leads to life, let your eyes be on Christ. Our only hope in life and in death is that we belong to him. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen.